Second service, welcome to church. Woo, all right. Just take a moment maybe to recover. You guys feeling all right? Hey, I'm excited to be with you. I need to tell you, just like I told first service, as a preacher, pastor, whatever terminology you use, it's our job to stand up on a weekly basis and have something to say, but it's also our job to be sensitive to when God may be doing something unique or special, especially in the time of preparation. And I wanna let you in before we get going today. That's exactly the way I feel about this weekend. And it's actually proven to be true in first service. And here you are, second service. I just wanna to communicate to you that you aren't here by accident. This is a little bit of an aside, is that okay? Yep. All right, good. This is a little bit of an aside and that you're not here by accident. I don't just mean your life. I mean, here in this service, I believe personally that God has designed what we're going to talk about today to be used today just for you, something that you will need so that as you march out, you will have this in your story, in your life. I can't wait to get to it. Before we get to that, though, I just need to handle one thing, and it's incredibly important for me to be able to say this today proudly and publicly in this way. For Vertical Church, God has been faithful. In these days, in these pandemic days, we like literally shut this building down and all went home. I have to communicate to you that God has been faithful in two major ways. Life are continuing to change inside the vertical community and God has looked after us financially. And that may just kind of fly over you for a moment, but as people who sit around and think about how, how are we gonna keep the building open? How are we gonna keep everybody employed? Can I just tell you, this is the United States government we've depended upon. It's been the people of God and God himself and God has pulled through. And that's worth celebrating, isn't it, Vertical Church? This place is still, yes, that's worth clapping over. This place is still in existence and still doing the work that God has called it to do because of the faithfulness of God. God has been faithful. And it's actually been something that Vertical Church has been dependent upon since its humble and risky beginnings. Where the Thurman family and the Miller family stepped out and decided to do something crazy to build a place where the primary goal was for people to be able to wander in and experience the acceptance of God. And after that acceptance, to be able to link in to their purpose in the larger story. That's still part of our DNA, still part of our identity. See, lives are changing here for people who have a lot and people who have a little. For people who don't know anything about church or people who have been so dramatically hurt by the church, they swore they would never go back. Those sorts of lives are changing here in this room. It's spectacular to watch and the pandemic actually hasn't slowed it down at all. That's amazing, isn't it? In fact, first service, people were going to church. They're not even in church. That's crazy. But God is doing some incredible stuff around our community. And as a staff, we're kind of putting our pedal, our pedal to the metal to try to keep up with what, what God is doing, both internally and externally. Let me explain that for just a moment. Handle some details here. Our digital presence is gonna change in the coming days because we realized as we run across videos that are 40 minutes long, we do what you do. We keep scrolling, don't you? Who has 40 minutes to watch something? I mean, unless you're baking something incredible in a glass bowl, then we all have 40 minutes. But otherwise, nobody's stopping to watch a 40-minute video. We need to discover new ways to get helpful information to you in the way that you can absorb it and it can make a difference in your life. And we're going to try the best we can and maybe fail in the process in some ways. We're going to try to get that information to you through our digital methods. You may not know this, but the audio that's captured in this room is already on our Vertical Plus podcast. You can find that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We're just trying to reach into your world. That's internally. Externally, I want you to 
jot down some dates, either on your smart device or maybe write them down. Two critical dates in the life of this church in the year 2020, November 7th and 8th. It's the weekend that we call Hope For Weekend. Catch this, we shut down this church. Who's gonna do that again in a pandemic? We are. We're gonna shut it down for another weekend, not so that we can stay home, but so that we can go out. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. We're gonna go out and put our shoulder to the plow with local partners who are engaged in ministry every single day that we heavily support, three of them. We have Crossroads in Canton. We have the Opportunity Center in Jackson and Mississippi Food Network. And we're seeking to join up with the, their efforts on that weekend, the Saturday and Sunday. So let me just encourage you, don't be that person that plans like your one family vacation in 2020 on that weekend. Don't be that guy. And if you do, don't post pictures because I'll see them, right? You need to be with us November 7th and November 8th. We're looking to make a $20,000 impact in our community that weekend. You know how much money we have in that $20,000 effort already? 13,000 in the middle of a pandemic. We have that money set aside so we can go make, make an impact. But I'll tell you as, as the heart of your lead pastor, that's not enough money. I want 20,000. So if you're one of those people that's like taking a bath in money, skip your bath tonight and give us that money, okay? The main thing I want you to, God's gonna handle the money. God will take care of the money. The way we talk about money at Vertical Church is only to pass it along, to get it to people in need. And there are a lot of people in need. God's gonna cover that part. Maybe you're part of it, maybe you're not. But I want you to be there personally because I know it'll change your life. It'll change your life to look into need. What we believe at Vertical Church is that the message of Jesus Christ is it's most powerful when it meets people where they are. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more today. I want you to be a part of it because it'll change your life. November 7th and 8th, Hope For Weekend. What day is it? 7th and 8th. All right, hopefully I'll see you there. We'll be at one, I'll be at one of the sites. So here's where we're gonna start today. We have a limited time frame. We've got a lot to put into today. It's an incredible story. I thought I understood this story until I started reading about it more and more and more this week. To catch you up to where we are though, we've got to do a little bit of work. Remember we discussed heavily last week that there are these big moments in our story, moments that we need to be ready for. And one of the best ways to be ready for those big moments in your life is to actually hear what God says about you, who God says that you are. And we discussed there's often a large discrepancy between what other people say that you are and who God says that you are. We looked at that through a day in the life of Jesus and we're gonna discuss that very same thing from a different perspective with different players on the Old Testament stage. I can't wait for you to hear it, but to get us there, I wanna give you a phrase that'll get you in the right mental and emotional place so you can hear what God's trying to communicate to you today. Everybody ready? Fantastic. Here's the phrase. When things get difficult, we go to our defaults. Now, you automatically recognize the truth in that statement, don't you? Let me explain it just a little bit, just in case you're having trouble wrapping your mind about where we may be headed today. When things get difficult, we go to our defaults. Let's take the most benign example first, the athlete. If you've ever seen an athlete in a slump, it's kind of a horrifying thing to watch, isn't it? Especially a professional who hits a slump in a batter's box or in the tee box. See Phil Mickelson. You never know what's gonna happen out of that tee box, right? Especially if he's in a mental slump. So what, a, what do athletes like that do? They go to defaults. Even if they've spent thousands of dollars and thousands of hours reprogramming those defaults, when things get difficult, you'll see them change their swing. It even happens for the pros. How about this? Do we have any parents in the room? God bless you on all your offspring through the season of the pandemic. May school start and never close again, all right? <laughs> Any parents? Okay, good, parents. 
Yes, can I get an amen? All right, this is how this goes. This is how it goes for parents. Who hasn't been in this situation, especially in the seven and a half month spring break we've just experienced? We're behind your front door, things get a little bit heated, right? The tension just turns up a little and then somebody lights a match. And eventually you find yourself in the middle of a big speech and you sound exactly like your father or your mother. And you're thinking in the middle of it, the whole Homer Simpson thing, you're like, what are you doing? Stop, here it comes. This is a phrase you said you would never say you're about. Oh, there you go, you said it, right? And the first thing you think is, Man, I regret saying that. The second thing you think is, I wish they had a time machine so I could go back and take that back. When things get difficult, we go to our defaults. The things that were said to us, we say to other people. Here's the last example of, man, this has been very true over the last season that we've been in because you know what didn't shut down during quarantine was Amazon. Am I right? Man, I talk about it all the time because it's really my largest addiction because nothing makes somebody feel better than overpriced footwear. Am I right about that? Like these shoes aren't worth that much, but I felt so good buying them, right? When things get difficult, we go to our defaults, especially our purchasing defaults. We start to buy things because we believe it'll make us feel better, even if we've spent months saving and building up that nest egg for an emergency. That amount of money that we need actually to calm down our anxiety, we spend to calm down our anxiety, which creates more anxiety. You know who doesn't care about that? Amazon Prime. When things get difficult, we go to our defaults on the behalf of all UPS drivers everywhere. Could you please slow down that buy now button, right? When it's default though, when things get difficult, that's where we go. If this is true over all these different mediums, over all these different life circumstances, then I would venture a guess to say it's true of all of us. And if this is true, and it is, that difficult days are in our future. Let's be honest as a church. Things may not have been great over the past few months, but I can guarantee you there are days in all of our futures that are going to be more difficult than the day that we're living today. And I believe that God desires for us to be ready. So here's what he does. He works things into our right now to begin to code into our lives healthy defaults. It's in our best interest, isn't it? To pay attention to what God is doing in our stories, even today, even right now. And I would propose to you, it's most important when our circumstances are difficult. If this is an idea that intrigues you, you should go back and you should revisit our series that we've done actually throughout 2020, coincidentally, The Dip, Job, The Enemy's Noose, where God does some of his best work in difficult circumstances. This is exactly what happens in the day that we're going to discuss, the season that we're gonna to discuss today, where the ancient story of a man named Joshua and a woman named Rahab intersects. And what happens when those stories intersect? was supernatural and spectacular. So incredible, in fact, that we're still talking about it 3,000 years later. You've got to know a little bit of the backstory, but let me start here. In order for the walls around a city named Jericho to fall, before the walls could fall, a prostitute had to stand up. She had to stand up for herself. She had to stand up for her family. And she actually had to stand up for the plan of God. The scene opens like an HBO miniseries. If you've seen Band of Brothers, you need to put yourself in that mentality as I begin to tell the story. There are three men gathered around together engaged in some pretty intense conversation. You could tell that something big is on its way. They're agitated, somewhat frustrated, and obviously from the look on their faces, very afraid. 
One of these three men is actually a newly appointed general. Not so young, but young in the job. And he's got to make a plan because they're standing on the edge of a land that they believe, based on what God has told them, that they should invade. And they're talking with each other about how to do that. How do we invade this land? Is it going to work? And the young general eventually has to make a decision, and he does. But to understand his decision, you actually have to understand the man, which is usually the case, right? We understand that, especially in an election year. To understand the decisions that a man is making, you have to understand his story. See, this young general had been preparing for this moment most of his adult life. When he was a younger man, he was part of an elite force of 12 that were chosen by the leader of the nation to go in and spy on this very land that they were standing on the edge of, having this conversation, the three of them. He goes in with these 12 men. They survey the land, they come back and they make a report to the general at the time. As the story goes, 10 of those 12 men have bad report. There's no way that we can go in and take this land. The enemy is too large. They're too sophisticated. They're too dug in. And we don't care what God says, there's no way we could actually pull this off. But two men, this young general was one of them, come back and say, it is possible. Certainly it will be difficult, but if God says we can, we believe that we can. Just as an aside, these two men, they're so famous that we name our kids after them today, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 men have disappeared into the invisible pages of history. And here this young general sits with these two men discussing this plan. And he's waited a long time for this to happen because based on the poor report of those 10 men years and years ago, God decides to delay his plan, not just for a moment, but for 20 plus years. Joshua has had over two decades to think about what might've happened if those other 10 men had just believed like he and his friend. And now he's on the edge of his opportunity to make a 20 year decision right. And he wants to get it right. He looks at these two young soldiers and I believe he was thinking in his mind, I have to remove the possibility of group think. The young general says, why would I send 12 men when two men will do? He looks into the eyes of these two young men and he says, you are it. The whole future of this nation hangs in the balance based on this mission. I am sending you to infiltrate the territory of the enemy and you will bring a report back to me. How are they now? Are they still strong? Are they what I remember? Are the odds still stacked against us? As the story reads, the two young men look at the young newly appointed general and they agree to the mission. With all of that exuberance and naivete that being a supernaturally freed nation gave these two young men, they packed their supplies the evening before. And I can only imagine as they're heading out, facing the largest challenge they've ever faced in their lives, what that first couple of miles must have been like as they walked towards Jericho. I imagine they felt alone and I imagine the journey was quiet. So quiet, in fact, they could hear each other's footsteps because they knew there was a distinct possibility that they would never come home from this mission. As the story continues, they actually get to the city of Jericho. They start to build the information that they need to take back to the general who had sent them. In fact, they were so consumed with their mission that they stayed in the city too long and night begins to fall. They realize they're in a difficult situation and they have to find shelter for the evening. 
They decide to go to an inn, an inn that has a reputation of providing sexual favors for the men who stay there. The perfect place, they think, as spies for two people, two Jewish people, to hide in the city overnight. No one would know that they were there. Boy, were they wrong. Very quickly, the king of the city of Jericho hears that there are two Jewish men staying at this inn owned by a woman named Rahab, which begs the question, how did the king know so quickly who was staying at Rahab's inn? How did he know what was going on there? And also, how did he feel so confident that he could deliver a message directly to Rahab where he says, bring those two men out. We must torture them and figure out what they are doing in our city. And this is where Rahab shows up like a boss. And we're gonna celebrate her today. The king's men go to the inn. They knock on the same door that the two Jewish men had knocked on just hours before. And they interrogate Rahab. They ask her, are there two men here? If there are, bring them out. The king needs to see them. Rahab looks directly into their eyes and says, there were two Jewish men here earlier today. Notice how Rahab was thinking on her feet. There were two Jewish men here earlier today. Yes, I did see them, but they've left. As night was beginning to fall on the city and the gates were beginning to close, they decided to leave. And it's in your best interest to please the king. If you want to catch them, you should leave quickly and catch them before they get further away. Genius. Because what Rahab had actually done was taking these two men up to the roof of her inn, which was in the city walls. And she hid these men among a crop that was there in the sun on the top of this inn, in this wall, in this enemy city. And these men hid willingly in an attempt to save their life. Here's what we now know. Rahab wasn't just seeking to save their life. She was seeking to save her own. After the king's men leave her in that day in order to pursue the enemy, she decides that she's gonna go up to the roof and she's gonna have a conversation. After she saves them, she wants to give them a talking to. Very female, isn't it? She goes upstairs in her own inn to the roof and she has a conversation with these two men. And believe it or not, we have a record of what she said. Are you ready to hear the words of Rahab? They're too important for me to summarize. As I read them, I want you to hear the urgency and the insistence in her voice. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. Don't forget that. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Shion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Do you hear it? Rahab was paying attention to what the men who stayed at her inn were saying. She had her ear to the ground. What's going on around this city? I need to be informed and I can be because these men are talking in my inn. And she tells these spies the report they're looking for. Everyone in this city knows what your God has done. Oh, we can question it in modern America because we don't see miracles like they did. But this particular woman on this day had heard about the activity of God. Even from the perspective of a prostitute, God was powerful. And she said it to these men. I love her words of intensity. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. 
No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is a supreme God, the supreme God. What a recognition from a Canaanite prostitute. She speaks the truth. He's the supreme God of the heavens and above and the earth below. Now swear to me, I love her strength, don't you? Swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. I did you a favor, you do me a favor. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you'll let me live. But she doesn't stop there. Also very female. Let me live along with my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters. And while I'm at it, remember I saved your life. All of their families, give me a guarantee. I love her grit, don't you? Her determination, her ability to seize the moment, her willingness to recognize when two men who are from God show up at her inn that isn't of God. She had heard so many speeches in her inn about what God was up to and she knew when he showed up. Was it a mistake that these two men stayed in the city too long? Was it a mistake that these two men decided to go to her in in the city wall, close to the gate, but not out of it? Was it a mistake that Rahab was there? Of course not. Here's what I wanna communicate to you today. No matter how far off the reservation your life has taken you, you are never outside the loving reach of God. And if God has to take a former spy and have him have a conversation with two new spies and send them into enemy territory, risking their life and make them stop by an inn that provides sexual favors to find you, God will do that. You think God can't find you in suburban America? God is out for you because he needs to convince you that he loves you and he's got an ancient plan for you. Everything that Rahab did did not disqualify her from the ancient plan. Am I teaching to nobody? Rahab had a part to play and God was going to get her. See, what we understand now is that Rahab was going to be a branch in the family tree of Jesus Christ. That's just like God, isn't it? communicating through the genealogy of Jesus that the religious elite better wake up. Rahab is a dramatic example of someone who had what she needed at the moment. She used the moments leading up to that moment to be prepared for what God was gonna do in her life even though she didn't know God yet. Was Rahab doing anything, anything in her life up until that moment to earn the favor of God? I've read this story over and over again this week. I can't find it. Was Rahab living in the way that God calls his children to live? No. Did this disqualify her from the ancient plan of God over her story? Can you say it with me? No. For some of you, you're pushing back though. Don't you know how God told us to live? I mean, isn't our job to boycott? Isn't the world going to hell in a handbasket? Isn't there something we should be doing? Shouldn't we stand up and preach and teach and yell and protest? If that's how you feel, then you gotta know who you're protesting against because those people across the way, they may be the people that God's after. I'm getting a little too personal, aren't I? 
If you're one of those people that believes that God has to, has to operate based on your systems of right and wrong and justice, I just wanna read a verse for you, especially if you grew up in a church, churches like I did, where you had to kind of earn the fact that God was supposed to love you. Anybody in that camp? Let me just give you a verse right here. It's gonna set you free. We've only got about five minutes left. Psalm 115, verse three. Our God is in the heavens. He's not, he's not here in a pulpit. God is in heaven. And the next part of this sentence, haunting. He does what he wants. It's either haunting or freeing, depending on how you read it. Isn't it vertical church? God does what he wants. See, God doesn't have to prove himself to the people that raised you that he can use you. Anybody? God is in heaven and he does what he wishes. What a perspective correcting truth. For many of us, it's what we needed to hear today. It's what we needed to hear again so we can participate in the God story again. I believe God wants to communicate to the people. He does what he wishes and he's still doing it. What has she done up into her life that, to that point to make herself worthy? Nothing. Let me give you this big statement. It's something that those of you in the room that need it, you're never going to forget. It's those that God pulls from the edge. It's those that he pulls from the edge that end up doing some of his most effective work. Have you been to the edge? Are you still at the edge? Guess what? God hangs out there just to intersect with people like Rahab, to pull them back because as I read the pages of the Bible, those are the exact people that God uses to free nations. Okay, so maybe you don't believe me. Let's go to the words of Paul. You may have heard of Paul and he's celebrated a lot because he wrote most of the New Testament. And I think that's a pretty big feat. But there was a before the story story. He was a religiously motivated murderer. Hear that. This was the life that he was living. He particularly loved to pursue and kill people who believed in Jesus. There are a few of us here in this room right now that Paul would have been after, but later on in his life, he wrote this down in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish to shame the wise, those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. See, this is exactly how the economy of God works. He reverses things. Isn't that good news, Vertical Church? The way that things are right now, the way that things are around you, God specializes in reversing. See, Paul could uniquely say this because he lived on both sides of the equation. He used to go into cities to pursue people, to murder them. And after God got a hold of them, he eventually had to run from cities from people who wanted to murder him. But he knew the truth. All right, so maybe you push back against Paul. I mean, he's just a guy, right? How about Jesus? Can we stop there for just a minute? Yes? This is gonna knock your socks off. You're not gonna believe this. Jesus is trapped by the religious elite of the day. They ask him a question. We don't have time to go into why it was a trap. Just know that they were looking to trap Jesus. This is a strategy they used a lot and it never worked. Ever, ever, ever worked. It never worked to trap Jesus. Jesus always turned things around on them. This is one of those moments where the religious elite were trying to prove that they knew more about God than Jesus. That's funny, isn't it? Jesus says back, I tell you the truth, something that teachers would say at the beginning of something where they wanted people to move in. I tell you the truth, corrupt, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes. Do you see that? 
We'll get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you, you remember him? He showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him while tax collectors and Rahab did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe, big word, and repent of your sins. Two incredibly strong voices screaming to us from antiquity, pay attention. Don't ever count out the underdog. The underdog often has a fire in their belly and if they're given the right direction or moment or opportunity, they can change the world. See, Rahab had what the spies needed that night. It wasn't her brothel, it was her belief. She believed and the spies needed that. As you might imagine, the story continues and the spies, they live. They make it out of the town. They hide for a moment so that they don't get caught and then they get back to the young general. Remember him? He was waiting on their report and this is exactly what they told him. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Those are Rahab's words. That's Rahab's belief. And because this prostitute found belief in her own inn and passed it along to these spies, these two spies reported to the general and the general motivated a nation to pursue a crazy plan of walking around the city until the walls fell. They saved her and they saved her family and she is in the line of Jesus Christ. Her belief was what those men needed inwardly. She had what was needed for the moment. Here's the last thing I'm gonna to propose to you today is this stuff that God is trying to grow inside of us as he prepares us, as he makes us ready for what's next. It's great for us. It's also good for other people. There are people in your story, in your life, maybe you haven't even met them yet. Maybe they're gonna come knocking on your door in your future and they're gonna need something that you have. They're gonna need that fire that God's been seeking to build in you your whole story. So the real question as we wrap today up is, will the fire be burning when they find you? On November 7th and 8th, will the fire be burning when the people at the Opportunity Center find you or will they find a cold heap of ash? We only have two roads to take. I encourage you, it may feel like worthless work in the beginning. It may feel like a fool's errand but to do everything you can to discover what God is growing in your life through circumstance and even teaching and take those small embers and give them the oxygen they need to turn into a fire. Somewhere in your future, someone's going to need the belief that you have. When you think you can't be the person, I want you to remember Rahab because your door may be the door that God knocks on next. Let's pray. God, for this morning, we're grateful. I'm especially thankful that you don't hide the tough stories in the Bible. Oh, no way, God. You put them up front because that shows your ability. And I thank you for Rahab. I thank you for this woman who was willing to believe, who was willing to take a stand, who was willing to have a conversation, and eventually was willing to graft herself into your people. I pray for that kind of courage, God, for those of us, especially the religious elite among us who have convinced us that you have to work the way we think you should. Help us to be open for those knocks on the door 
from the people from the edge who are destined to do some of your most effective work. In Jesus' name, amen.